This is Shaka Wart Speak. Hey, welcome to Shaka Wart Speak. Uh, I'm Ryan, and I'm here with Gareth, who is calling me out on some stuff. I won't. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I won't. I won't tell you what it was. Hey, much love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he punched me in the stomach so hard that I'm still having a hard time breathing. I seen him. Um, <laughs> but uh, but in all seriousness, uh, we got a. Uh, it's like a episode that's probably been in the works for a while. You know, it's been percolating yeah, in our relational background. And uh, we have one of our dear friends, Josh Williams, with us today. What up, Josh? What up, Josh? Chilling, though. How yeah. you doing? Yeah. And Josh is uh, in our current show. Uh, is, what is it called? What's the current show called? The Four Apoc- Horsemen in the Apocalypse. That's right. The Four Horsemen in the Apocalypse. And Josh is in that show currently. And so, um, so we thought it was a great time to bring him on. And kind of like get into what's going on with Josh. And so um, we just kind of want to jump in. So what's going on with you, Josh? I'm chilling, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Working. What are you working on? Uh, a lot of things. <laughs> give, give us some. Um, so, yeah, the, a lot of things. That's kind of part of the topic for today. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I work. Uh, I'm a product designer, UX designer for Snag a Job uh, in Richmond, Virginia. Um, shouts to snag a job. Shouts to sh- snag a job. Who we? Yeah, great. Yeah, anyhow, yeah. <laughs> um, so is that uh, I am a dad and husband. So there's that always. Um, I paint. So I, I have the show across the street. A bunch of stuff over there. Um, I'm kind of always knitting or crocheting. Like which you know is not a stereotypically black. Uh, <laughs> like action, I guess, or like, like I, I couldn't do that on my porch in my neighborhood. I'll right. Put it that way. Right. Um, and I was a recipient of an amazing one. I'll be wearing that scarf. Later. Protect yeah. your neck, Ryan. Protect my neck. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. I've been wearing that thing around the house. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so there's that. Um, I write. Uh, I drum. I play guitar. I build furniture. I'm making some. Uh, I'm making, I'm going to be dyeing some curtains out of drop cloths and I am making some curtain rods out of dowels and it's going to look super dope. I hope. Dope. I hope that's the name of your website. Bars. <laughs> dope. I hope bars. <laughs> so yeah. So I think one of the, that's one of the things that, you know, we were kicking around that, uh, I think all of us probably everybody at this table dabbles in the fact mm. that there's like, um, I guess the basic idea that, that, that is on the table is that, uh, that we all have interest and then you follow those interests and you find you can reasonably execute yeah. something. And then yeah. it, be, it, it confronts your um, kind of like your expectations and your desires. Like why is it that I can and what does that mean? It's like the meaning question is tied to what do I do next? Yeah. And it's like this kind of uh, puzzle that we, I, I don't know. I, I know that we've all talked in the past and we probably have all wrestled with solving that puzzle. Perhaps it's not solvable. And so one of the things that I'm throwing out there, we we all agree on and talked about a little bit is is that um, I guess one way that I can say this that I'm thinking about it, and y'all can beat this up and throw other uh, analogies in, is like uh, it seems to me to put it in really big broad terms. I'm going to go big, and then I want to ask you to start personal with your experience. Okay. So go big picture is just for us to kick around. It's like it seems to me like the universe, if you will, and everything in it is is almost an instrument to be played mm. Mm. Yeah. um 
much in the way that like when I form uh, a C chord and I strum, a distinct sound emerges that resonates me mm-hmm. as such. It seems to me that we are the kinds of beings that can play <laughs> the earth and, and all the materials that are in it, the sounds that are uh, uh, brought from our bodies taking in air and pushing air mm-hmm. out that uh, brings about sound and music and voice. It seems like that is a constant. Mm. Um, and so in some ways lately, it's like it's been making sense to me that we may find ourselves being able to do more than just one thing yeah, yeah. because the world we live in is so abundant in that way that it's, it's, it's like there to be played. And I don't say played lightly. I don't, I don't, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I don't want to reduce it merely to instrumentality, but I I just, it's just like a picture in my mind that's been helping me kind of grasp at this idea. No, I think it's good. I think, you know, one thing I'd kind of push into is, you know, one of your, um, one of your favorite metaphors is, is a garden. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I think about it that way where it's, you know, what, what weirdness would we kind of be living in if we had this garden where like, I've got this acre, it's all plowed up, it's all good to go. And I'm, I'm forever i'm just working to grow the best pumpkins yeah and that's it like these pumpkins this year they're pretty good but next year i'm gonna make them better i'm gonna get more skilled at this Mm -hmm. i'm gonna be as history remembers making growing the best pumpkins Mm -hmm. it's like but but that earth that you tilled up can actually create a bounty of other things Mm -hmm. that can work with those pumpkins with those other so that you have a, a whole beautiful kind of like uh, tapestry or feast of mm-hmm. good things coming from it. Yeah. I mean, in some sense you'd ask almost like, well, why would you just be growing that one thing? Right. If, right. You, if you could, and yeah. if those things would make what you grew look even better or taste even better. Sure. You know, why wouldn't they be there to, uh, to approach it? Like the good earth that you tilled up to make those pumpkins can do a number of things. And yeah. I feel like that happens uh, in our creative spaces as well, that we kind of get so stuck in a lane or a rut that we're like, Oh, I couldn't do that other stuff. Yeah. It's like, why not? Right. Yeah. Which is not to say you can't get really intimate in your knowledge about one thing. Oh yeah. You know, cause we're also limited, but um, I think that's, a, I think, I mean, I think that's a great point. I think that's like kind of what's at stake for us as, at, at this kind of uh, critical juncture, as far as how we like our self understanding, that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But so for you, Josh, you're uh, fairly young still. You're not as old as Gareth and I. So you're, you know, I mean, so you got, you're on a trajectory right now that's, that's very interesting. And um, so how did that, how did that kind of start for you as far as just your experiences, you know, being creative in any kind of way? Yeah. So how far back? How far back do you want to go? I mean, we, don't, we, you know, you can, you can give us the highlights of the far back. Yeah. Um, hmm. So... I don't know. I've, I've generally found myself in a position where if there was something that's like, that'd be pretty cool to try and do, it would be like, I I could generally pick it up. Um, like I tend to have, I mean, to a lesser extent now, uh, thankfully I am pretty intense, um, and quasi obsessive. So, uh, like when something takes my attention, it arrests my attention. Like I am focused on the thing. Um, which has meant that like uh, the whatever system kind of sits behind the thing, um, if it's repeatable, generally I can pick it up, mm-hmm. or at least from what I've experienced. So like whether it was in like uh, you know in the last year, like 
picking up knitting and crocheting because mm-hmm. I was up really, really late with a newborn and I needed something I could do in semi-dark. Right. And it's like, and I wanted my hands to be busy. So yeah. I'd pick that up. Yeah. There was that. Or like in college when I was trying to be uh, just uh, cringe, cringeworthily cool mm-hmm. and uh, picked up longboarding and got way too into it. Mm-hmm. Like that didn't take long, you know? Mm-hmm. So like um, just in terms of like things that are uh, understandable or pick upable, so to speak, it's like um, if there's a system to like work behind the scenes, like generally I find that it's able to be picked up because yeah. if I can see the system, it's like, well, why, why can I not? Right. Also participate, you know? Yeah. 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 So. I relate to that. Uh, so I was, um, I mean, you know, this is, this is, this is what jumps into my mind. I relate to that. Like I recently got a ping pong table mm. and, uh, I brought it out and played one day and got beat by a lot of my good friends, including Gareth. You're welcome. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, the way I was beat, I was picking up vibes. Mm. And so all it was was I picked up the vibes and I came back and played again and changed the way I held my paddle. Yeah. And I took out Gareth. Oh yeah, my gosh. Um, yeah. I mean, it was still close. Let's come on. Okay. I mean, I wanted to destroy But it was but. like, I mean, he destroyed me. And then the next game, it was like, it was close and I beat yeah, it. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it was a good game. It's still kind of a just, that's just my jab at Gareth for getting away. Yeah. Game. So, totally. I'm that sorry. That seemed out of left field, man. <laughs> yeah. It was, it, was, it, was, it was calculatedly out of left well, field. I mean, but I, but I think that you're actually onto something. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, the, the talk about systems is, you know, um, I mean, coming out of design, like, systems is something that we talk about a lot. Yeah, boy. Um, if you, yeah, if you go through uh, any sort of, uh, even like bad design training, you're going to get something about systems, yep. right? It, and, and the thing about it is, is uh, whenever I've taught courses on systems, the things that you have to get first is you have to dispel the rumor that this is some like dirty thing. Right. So like, oh, a system. So you're talking about like a template. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. We're talking about the things that make everything else work, mm. right? So you're not getting pissed off that you're system has, uh, that, that your house has, um, something like, uh, like plumbing, right? You're not getting pissed off at that. Nobody's pissed about like your AC system. Nobody's pissed about any of that sort of stuff. They're not ticked off that those things are there within your house. Right. But you do get ticked off when they're gone. Yeah. So when we talk about, uh, systems, we have to think about it much more in that light. And that's usually where we start uh, within those courses because people just will like, they just, their feathers get ruffled so easily when you start talking about systems because they think it means, oh, I'm dictating what you do. I'm forcing you into a very kind of boring, singular path. You don't get to have creativity or choice. You just do this thing. But we have to look at it more like the systems in the house. So when those systems are working, you can do a million things in your home. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't change anything. But once that plumbing is broken or once your AC stops working, like now you've got very specific things you have to address because the system is not working. Yeah. Systems are facilitative. That's that's like that's the thing is like uh, you're you have several like a bunch of systems in your body. And like if my respiratory system suddenly failed, I there would be no facility to do anything. So like you you rely on Mm -hmm. systems to be working at play in the background. Um, And then especially if you can rely on them like and consciously use them like you can change your breathing to do certain things like you have to be able to control your breathing to rap for example like you have to be able to control where you breathe so that you don't sound like garbage like you have to be able to like um yeah like well it's interesting like this is a total side riff i listened to like a david blaine the magician talk about controlling his br- his breathing and that like the uh carbon or gosh i forget the oxygen exchange and the assumption is normally when you breathe, take more breaths, it's better, but actually it's the inverse. And so he learned how to hold his breath 
for a, a serious amount of time where his heart rate dropped, but he was brain was getting the proper oxygen it needed to to function. It was totally paradoxical to what we think. And and it resonated with me because when in when I did track in college, mm. um Michael Johnson was, you know, the Olympic, you know, ninety six gold medalist and, and he had an upright running style. And when you'd watch him run, his face would just bounce. Mm-hmm. There was no tension in his face. And you can watch his breathing uh, patterns. And I had a really good sprint coach. I was a high jumper. I hadn't really been trained to run. And so I was being, I was learning running for the first time after doing track from junior high to high school. Mm -hmm. And we learned how to run and relax. And we studied Michael Johnson. So we would run 200s and relax. And my arms would be moving extremely fast, but my breasts would be like, At, at my ma- like over and over again at my maximum speed, yeah. completely the opposite. So I wasn't going <gasps> like it was like you know yeah, yeah. super awkward. I, did, I just did that, but <laughs> it makes the point. It was super awkward, but so so you know to your point, like understanding the constraints of the system mm-hmm. uh, enables um, a range of possibilities. But it also points to the fact that a lot of the systems that we employ are still uh, still haven't been exhausted. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. that there's still uh, so intervention or invention or innovating uh, isn't always existing with outside of current systems. It's about uh, becoming more intimate with those systems, such that you discover new possibilities with them. For sure. I mean, that's so like that, that's kind of like my daily at my job is um, you know we'll have business needs that are handed down, and those so the product should be able to do this this digital product. And it's like cool. It doesn't do that now. Uh, but we have an existing framework and an existing system. So it's basically like adding an expansion to a house, but like you, you need the original structure there to be able to like hang things off of it and to build off of it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, like you won't have anything. Yep. Like if you don't have the starting point, like you still have to build and that's how digital systems work is like you have to have a digital system built in order to do the thing that you want it to do. Like yeah. You don't have the doing the thing unless mm-hmm. you have the system behind it because it needs that system to work. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, like, and, and I think that, you know, we could, we've all had those experiences where we've either been the one kind of perpetrating this or we've come across folks who, who have where they're not interested in how the thing works or functions or what that system is underneath. Mm. Instead, they just kind of want to slap the aesthetic on top and be like, oh, I'm doing the same thing, right? And it's like, no, you're, you're not. Um, no, we're not. I mean, that's how I felt when I started design school, right? It was like, oh, I'd make stuff. And I'm like, doesn't this work? And my friends are like, I don't know yeah. why it doesn't. I was like, but it looks just like this other thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, well, you, did, you didn't actually look at how stuff was, was functioning or mm-hmm. how it worked. And I think one thing that's great about um, the, the talk of systems is that um, within the whole conversation, you know, if you ask like, oh, well, I'm a trained painter, I'm a trained designer, I'm a trained you know, illustrator, how can you possibly do X, Y, and Z? And I think that larger system, like you're talking about, Ryan, of creativity and innovation mm-hmm. and things like that, like that's always underneath that, mm-hmm. which allows us to reach into those spaces uh, in ways where we can explore and experiment mm-hmm. and try that stuff out. Um, because there's there's like larger systems at play within the creative space that we all occupy, even in our particular ways. Right. Yeah. So how did how did you how did you, Josh, get into like what's the was it music first? Or, you know, was there one milieu that you more you primarily stepped into? And yeah, what yeah. was your gateway drug? Yeah, yeah. So my gateway drug. Uh, yeah, so I have been drawing 
since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So like I, my, my parents tell me this because I do not remember it clearly. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, it was a military brat. So my dad was in the Navy. I was in Illinois first. Don't remember any of that. Um, California next from two to four. I remember some of that. And like some of my most vivid memories from there are like playing Sonic the Hedgehog and like playing computer games mm-hmm. and playing outside. And that's about mm-hmm. it. And then, um, so like I have some aesthetic, like, uh, hearkenings back to there. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, from, from four until I went to Richmond to go to VCU, um, I was in Hampton, Virginia. And like, so when I was in elementary school, I would just draw apparently like all mm-hmm. the time. I, I, until like the last few years I had sketchbooks that I had just kept where I would just be drawing stuff. And normally it was imitation. Mm-hmm. So I'd be like, I'm watching cartoons. I'm gonna draw a cartoon. Mm-hmm. It's like, I was playing this in a video game. I saw this in a video game. I'm gonna draw the thing from the video game. Mm-hmm. It was heavy copying. So mm-hmm. like, um, the, the obsessive, uh, impulse, um, was starting to come in in elementary school. Mm-hmm. And so like, um, I remember when kingdom hearts two came out, I was like, I'm going to play this. And I played it. I played the crap out of it. And then I was like, well, I'm going to draw this. Actually, I'm going to steal this. <laughs> so I would start drawing the characters. I would start drawing my own characters that were just really crappy imitations of the originals. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, they have these weapons. I'm going to draw my own permutations of these weapons. Just because like they had already had, there was the thing that was already there. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have categories for like, this isn't actually your thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like this doesn't belong to you. But I was still, I had a creative impulse. So I would just copy. So I was drawing constantly in, in those contexts. Um, and then like, that's kind of how it maintained, uh, until about, uh, high school, I guess. Um, a little before that, like I started getting into music. So my brother played guitar and he was like, Hey, you should play bass just because he wanted a bassist. And I, I I had no impulse to play music before then. I think I had tried to play drums, which I'm a drummer now. And drums was the first thing I tried and I sucked at it. So I stopped, um, and, and so that's interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting how it came back full circle, but yeah, my brother is like, yeah, you should play bass. I was like, okay. So that's for bass for my birthday. So we would just play together all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like another funny tangent is I'm fluent in Spanish and it's because my brother was learning Spanish in school. And so we would just talk together all the time. And then mm-hmm. again, that's a system yeah. where it's like, yeah, linguistics is a system. You, you can learn how to speak a language because there's actually yeah. a rhyme and reason to it. So all these things were kind of running in parallel at the same time. Um, yeah. Uh, well, what's interesting there, though, that I, it's in the background is it's in the context of your home mm-hmm. with a relationship with someone else that loves you that you love. And so in that relational dynamic, the system is enlivened. Yeah. So yeah. it's not it's not a cold system of oppressive learning. It's a it's a it's a, a fostered system of relationship that has all the pluses and minuses and difficulties. But out of that, that's I mean, that's really interesting to me um, as far as like. Because you, you learned it because a brother was like, your brother is like, your brother's older, right? Yep. Yeah, so your older brother is like, hey, let's learn Spanish. And your relationship is such that, or whatever, that you're, or even if he's just doing it and you're like, I want to know how to speak with you. All of a sudden, that dynamic is enough to actually become proficient yeah. as opposed to paying for four years of school to do it. Like, that's a really interesting oh, for sure. departure. Yeah, yeah, so for one, shouts to Jacob Williams, the homie. Still one of my best friends. Um but yeah, it, it was, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't any kind of flex. It was like, I'm learning this thing. I was like, Oh cool. I would love to speak that with you. That seems like it'd be really cool. Or like we could play music together. That sounds super dope. Like, cause we're super close growing up, still are incredibly close. So mm-hmm. 
yeah, it wasn't like uh, I feel like a lot of the time now, especially with like just like the social media mindset where it's like I'm going to do a thing to put it out there so that people can see it and I get some sort of immediate feedback and some sort of dopamine hit is very, very different from like we're just going to play music together. Mm -hmm. Like maybe you had like the pipe dream of like, we're going to make a band and like go do all this stuff. But like it just stays mad local for a long time. Right. You know? Right. So this is interesting difference there. Yeah. 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 And then you moved to college. So what motivates you to go study art at VCU? Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so high school is interesting. Um, I won a bunch of awards, uh, just for like, uh, art contests and stuff like that. So like there was, um, the Coliseum Crossing Parade Contest, whatever, won that a couple years in a row. And then, like, there was, like, um, the Sister Cities International Contest where, like, uh, I did a lino cut that won. It was an international prize. So I was like, oh, crap. Like, I, I'm – this is a thing. Like, this yeah. is something. Um, and so when I was in 10th grade as well, uh, I had uh, a teacher, Mr. Prince, um, who is a trained um, printmaker. So Prince, Prince. Yeah. Kind of hilarious. Did um, he like Prince the singer? I have no idea. I amazing. didn't have the categories to ask. You confuse it, Prince and Prince would be amazing. Um, but yeah, the, <laughs> the dude is, I, I mean, very tall black man. Uh, I did not have a lot of black male teachers. Yeah. So it was like hugely influential. And it's like, um, I'm mixed. So like my dad's black, my mom's white. So as as I step into this class and he's showing this art form that I had never seen before because I had, n- I had no idea what printmaking was. Right. Um, and I see that this is the thing that he does and he's extremely articulate about it. Uh, and I, that's something that I hadn't really experienced before where people were very articulate about art. Yeah. Um, and he was a professional. Like it wasn't just that like, like he was an art teacher, but he was also like a professional practitioner. Like this is, this was like his thing on, like when he's not here, he's mm-hmm. practicing this. Right. Um, so I learned that from him and that uh, I only had him for like half a semester because he had moved. Mm. But like the impact was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So I, I had carried on with printmaking and, and doing lino cuts um, clear through high school all the way into college. And uh, like that international contest was a lino cut. And if I hadn't learned that, like I wouldn't have gotten that. So like there was a lot of points where it'd be like, this is like a legitimate thing. Like this is kind of a, this is different in terms of like the execution here. Um, and like there's possibilities and being able to see him. Cause I was like, I guess I'll just be an electrician or something. Like I was just trying to be highly pragmatic and practical. I was like, uh, arts, the arts were like this cool thing that I, I was a part of, but like there was no sense that I could do it mm-hmm. professionally full time. And then I saw him and it was like, Oh wait, you're legitimately doing it professionally full time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it became a possibility. So then from that point on, I was like, okay, I'm gonna do that. Um, and like, so Again, stepping back, video games, cartoons, narrative in general, that was something that I always grasped onto. So I was like starting and fleshing out like uh, story concepts and doing world building for stories all through high school. So like I thought that was something that I wanted to step into. So when I was uh, applying to go to VCU, I wanted to get into the comm arts program, communication arts, um, because I wanted to do cartooning. Actually, I think I wanted to go to kinetic imaging because I thought I wanted to do animation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took an animation course in high school as well, um, and learned that once I got to high school or when I, once I got to college, once I got to VCU, I was like, I do not want to do this for very long. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, apparently, I like watching them, not making them so much. At least not at that point. So um, this is interesting, kind of how things shifted constantly. 
Um, so I went from, I was like, okay, well, I was going to do cartoons. Uh, I'll do illustration. That seems like a kind of lateral step where mm-hmm. it's a little bit more, you know, I can make money off of it. And like, I still get to get that creative impulse out. Um, and so I went to the commerce program to the first year between my first and second year, uh, me and my wife got married. So I was 19, freshly married. And then five months later, pregnant. So I had a child on the way. So I was doing illustration actively with the occasional like logo gig. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was like, I have three people that I need to feed very soon. Like, so my, my wife was working while, uh, while I was in school, but, uh, she had to stop basically at the end of the pregnancy. I think she stopped working with like two weeks left, but I needed to make sure that I had something locked down before then. Mm-hmm. So it was like, all I have is art training. <laughs> like that's the only professional development that I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like, I need to do another shift. So I kind of, again, laterally pivoted to uh, graphic design. So I worked for, I interned with a company called uh, Campfire and Co. Um, for I think a semester and a half or two semesters, something like that. Um, and I just got to see how, how brand design worked. Mm-hmm. They, they did brand identity, they did interior design, they did web design. Um, still do, uh, do a lot of stuff in Richmond. Um, and so I got to see those systems at play and kind of pick up on those things. And I was trash mm-hmm. at the start. Like there was the, the awkward, like you step into things and try and figure it out and you don't have any idea how bad you actually are, mm-hmm. um, but you persist in it. And I remember like, I had actually talked to you, uh, I had, cause we were friends by the time I was in late college, mm-hmm. actually through most of college, um, like, uh, I was trying to build, um, a design portfolio. And so you just recommended that I go to places, and, mm-hmm. um, ask if I can do work for them. So mm-hmm. there was some spots that I went to and I did some work for them. Uh, and so I was able to build a portfolio enough, um, to graduate just fine. And then I went and worked for a print shop after I graduated, not really involving what I had used, except for the fact that I used illustrator, like on the job, I wasn't making stuff five months after that. Um, and my, so my son was born. I worked five months there. Um, and then I worked for Capital One doing email design because I'm both bilingual and I have some sort of design background. Mm-hmm. So and this is all building to where I am now. Like, so when I was there, it wasn't design per se. I was mostly coding. Mm-hmm. So it's coding email templates um, and realized that while I can code, I don't like to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there are digital spaces of design which are super interesting. So while I was at Capital One for two years on contract, I uh, was learning. I was just trying to dabble in UX design as much as I could. So I would like get the occasional website design gig, mm-hmm. or I would uh, step toward. Um, I, I would get the opportunity to like mess around with some sort of digital tool that some people were doing side of desks. So I, I, I tried to gamify some sort of learning platform or something like that. Um, and again, pretty trashy at mm-hmm. first. Uh, but that was enough to where, like, I realized that was the direction that I wanted to go in. I kind of had a fork in the road where it's like, either I can, I could probably make more being a developer, but that'd be really swimming upstream. Um, I could learn it, but I don't want to, and it'd be really hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I can try and step harder toward design and mm-hmm. go UX product route. So I, I tried that. Um, there was a couple of interviews that I got as my contract was coming to end because I couldn't get re-upped at Capital One again because it had already been two years. Um, and so I applied to a few places, first for a web design position, got an interview, didn't get it, 
Then the UI position came up, got an interview, didn't get it. Then the UX position at Black called uh, Compare.com came up, and I got that one. I worked there for only eight months um, because it's it's a startup, so it's kind of going through some ups and downs. So I ended up getting laid off. But um, the amount of experience that I got there and getting a sense of like how do you work with a tech team and like how do you like field business needs from product product owners and things like that, just the whole like. Um, product team structure and like the digital structure behind what you see and the user interface. Um, I got that there. And then from that, because I knew folks at snag a job already, I was able to step over mm-hmm. to snag a job and that's where I've been since. So. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. One thing that I, I feel like somewhere in, in kind of like your trajectory that I think harkens back to other people and things we've talked about, but I just want to like, like put a note on is, um, seeing the image and embodiment of someone mm-hmm. that you could identify with that um, enabled a choice that you couldn't have seen as clearly possibly or mm-hmm. at all without. And then the other thing is that, that scaled up affirmation of something that you're doing. So like the awards, you know, it's interesting how image and embodiment and affirmation are these ingredients to, for many people's uh, trajectory into creativity. And it's fascinating to me to think about that because, you know, we always talk about how pervasive everything is and how it's, it's there, but our, our field of vision is, you know, so narrow that we, we um, like, we don't receive the, we, like, I mean, some people do. I mean, mm. some people are just so, so self-evident to them. They just, they just do. But many times we don't see the affirmation in the world around us. Like, you know, like, like so you're like a designer, but you're not really being affirmed by the design of the couch and the table or like, you're not Mm. connecting that that's a person that made that, you know? And so it has to come from these like clear, almost revelatory places. Mm. Like, and, um, I don't know. I mean, I just want to like acknowledge that because I think that that's so important. I think that's part of our know and be known point is that by knowing and knowing each other exponentially, it creates that plausibility for more people. It's sort of like a, a pathway to, to freeing up folks to understand the importance and value of art and design. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, a, a, a thing that I get from what you're saying, uh, Josh, is that um, it kind of stands out this point of uh, affirmation versus validation mm-hmm. um, as like opposing things. Uh, you know, you talked about like posting something on online and getting that dopamine hit, which is very much that validation, right? I've done a thing now. Now tell me I'm good at mm-hmm. it. I've done a thing. Now give me praise. Um, that I think we, we look for a lot, but instead I think we should probably be moving more towards a space of like affirmation. Cause it yeah. sounds like what you had was you were doing a thing already and there were things that happened that kind of affirmed what mm-hmm. you were doing. So it wasn't that you looked at something, you know, like if, if all you had said was I got an award one time in high school that maybe decided to go to art school. Well, that feels like a validation move. Right. Mm. But along the way you had several other things that affirmed that. So it was like, all right, you had this. You had this teacher who really was influential, helped you see a lot of things. Um, you had a you have a brother who was like, you know, lock and step with you, like mm-hmm. learning new things, doing new stuff, uh, making like kind of new spaces to do your work or whatever else. Um, you got all these things along the way that are, that are affirming it that have something to do with very specific relational aspects mm-hmm. where the validation can just be cold, impersonal relational things. Yeah. And so like the, the depth, I think of what you're talking about, the way you can get from, you know, drawing Sonic the Hedgehog to now doing 
digital product design. Mm -hmm. Like the way that happens is like highly through those relationships, it seems. I mean, if you take those relationships out of the story that you just told, I don't think you have a story anymore. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, at at each phase where it was like there had to be some sort of step over, you know, Mr. Prince with printmaking, um, you know, Rob Green, a good friend, creative director at Mobilux, like I, I had to ask him, I was like, hey, I actually have no idea how to do this branding project that I somehow just got. So can can you hook me up? Um, so he had to like kind of walk me through and say like, this is basically how you do it. This is how you should probably think of it. Mm-hmm. And like it didn't come together all at once, but like that was, you know, that was the start. Like I think Ryan like trying to step back toward painting over the last year was like, how do I start to think of this? Like there's there's no point where you like – the idea of some artist in a vacuum or some professional in a vacuum, like just killing the game on their own with no influence from outside sources is, is utterly not true. You know? Yeah. It's not, it's not possible because we, if it's, um, I mean, at very best you've got outliers, but they are yeah. anecdotal evidence. Yeah. At best. And then you're, and then, the, I mean, this is the point that I, I think I was trying to kind of sort of illustrate or put on the table for us is like, even when you're an outlier, you're still existing within a visual reality, mm-hmm. a, a physical and phys- visual reality that you're breathing in and out, that you're feeling, you're touching, you're heavily reliant upon. And so even when it's not direct lines to cultivated expressions of mm-hmm. human creativity, it's yeah. indirect through the natural state of affairs that uh, we are immersed in. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're literally breathing in and out. You are a part of it. You're not the same thing, but you are dis- distinctly in relationship to that which is the case, but not without being dependent upon it, not without, you know, anytime you've walked down concrete, you've walked essentially down parallel lines that somebody laid with frames, right? Mm -hmm. So paintings are framed. I mean, so if you just keep walking that out, there's these, uh, the, the, the sort of the, sort of the, the generalized creative underpinnings that sort of correspond with, uh, the world in its natural state of affairs mm-hmm. um, is informing our senses, even when we're not conscious of it, especially when we're not conscious of it. Yeah, that's that's funny because like uh, uh, there's some stuff that I've been reading recently that like has heavily to deal with like influence. It's like you can't help but to be influenced. Like we are yeah. necessarily um, consumers of a kind, not not necessarily well, not necessarily in like a heavy capitalistic sense, but like we cannot help but ingest the things that we're mm-hmm. around and like be influenced by them. Yeah. Um, like they, they make their way into our inner being, so to speak. So like um, doing like an audit of, of what you're actually being influenced by can mm-hmm. be helpful and powerful because then you can start to like, uh, you can be more intentional about the things that you want to be influenced by or not, which is like, in some ways you can be like, well, that's how you get to the polarization that we're seeing now is, which may be depending on how you do it. But like, um, you know, if I don't want to be uh, a violent person that I should probably stop like looking at extremely violent things, like for starters, just on a simple like level Yeah. where it's like, yeah, I mean the things that you see, the things that you're like allow to kind of be the, the stew that you sit in. Yeah. Like they do something for yeah. real for real, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, we, we talk about the, you know, the idea of generative. Right. And I think that that's part of that is like, like how, how is something generative? Well, it's had an influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's had some point that has touched, um, you know, and, and with all this, like we're talking about different levels of, uh, 
you know, things generating other things, right? Mm-hmm. So whether it's a relationship with a teacher or a friend or, you know, a mentor, uh, whether it's some work you do that leads you into something else that you find interesting, you know, like you talked about, you know, one job, it, it opened up this idea of like digital design mm-hmm. in a way that you hadn't mm-hmm. had open before, you know, like all of this is generative. Um, and so I think that's a, you know, it's a, a fantastic thing to think about because I'm just going through and doing a quick audit of some things uh, in my mind <laughs> as you're saying that. And I'm like, oh man, I don't, I need to do this. I don't feel like I want to do it. <laughs> you know, like, cause, uh, cause I, I feel like then I would get into places where I'm like, oh, maybe my ideas aren't as original as I thought because I'm heavily influenced by some things. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, want to lean into as much as I yeah. might think. But also then you're freed up to kind of own it too if you want to. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, like, I think then you're, then you're a legacy extender. Mm-hmm. And we're more likely to be legacy extenders than we are um, um, sort of extreme originators per se. You yeah, know, yeah, more, yeah. you know, I always say I have a family tree. You can find it. I can tell you, and you'll see it. And then it's what it is. Um, so in, in two senses, it's free. It frees you to be more clear about how you may innovate or originate out of a, mm-hmm. a lineage. But it also allows you to be more conscientious of upholding that which preceded you, that enables you. Um but also, you know, something you said, like, so there's a way we consume. And I just want to drive home. It's like we are, uh, we're able to consume, but simultaneously we're permeated. Mm-hmm. So we're permeated. Uh, you know, our, we, we have <laughs> like membranes, right? Like even I'm thinking about our eyes, you know, like think about how delicate and complex our eyes are. They see out, they take in, and we have to protect them. And so there's all this complex complexity going on as far as the way information occurs and matter occurs and what can and cannot be taken in or permeated through the eye. That was like a goofy example. But so, so to say that another way is to say that there's what we ingest and what we retain from what we ingest and what we discard as waste mm. while also being permeated. And so it's internal, external together. We're immersed in a environment. And so um, that's another way of saying then we're shaped. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it raises, so see, it goes back to me to the point about your brother. So if it's, if it's true that this is the case, then my orientation towards the way I like love my neighbor or the way I cultivate society um, and usher in, you know, we've talked about art in the past as being a gift. It's, a, it's, be, it's best expressed when given. When you start to think about art and design in those terms, you want to be in the space of people that, that are vitalizing, that are nourishing. And that's not always all people that actually do what you do. Mm-hmm. I mean, so what I'm saying is community becomes important. Yeah. And a diversified community can become important. Um, um, but also, you know, like if, so like, you know, for, so, for, so just to give a personal example, when I was a young teenager and I hung out with um, friends that were, were not up to no good, I tended to, uh, sort of relax into the cultural milieu a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I also hung out with friends that were Coke dealers and gang members. Mm. So I can remember sitting at, uh, in a basement while my friend was preparing to sell cocaine, like setting it up and there was guns on the table and like there were, uh, crips. I realized even driving in his car that I've assumed a target that I don't even represent, Yeah, yeah, you know, in terms of gang activity, like there, and, and so then I couldn't live at ease. And so my frame of mind was predicated on assurances for whether or not I can 
the worth of being in this relationship or these relationships and also what are my exit strategies? All of a sudden, my heightened state of awareness was impacted. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm limited because I'm focused in ways that are constraining. And they're limiting me to the diminishing returns of that and that that relationship mm-hmm. yeah. that that ultimately selling cocaine and gang 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 banging and that kind of thing is a exponentially diminishing return on on the benefits of yourself and others. Yeah. So That's, while you're while you're trying to assess the dilemma, your creative resources are being depleted at the expense of the diminishment of that. Mm-hmm. It's not generative. It's actually dehumanizing. And so um, now I love love that guy and still know him. And you know, um, there's lo- a long history there, but. And some of the guys that I hung out with that were in in and around that that time, um, so there is something about helping helping to step each other out of those scenarios, designing pathways out, mm-hmm. creating new opportunities. Um, you know, when it comes to like uh, creating societies where where there's not a famine, you know, so mm-hmm. that people ebb towards these less than desirable solutions for self-preservation. And I know we're talking really big, but I'm trying to use that as an example to say, even in design and creative spaces, like who are you in that milieu? What kind of uh, vibe do you bring? What, what is your general posture? Because we're breathing that in as much as we're consuming the direct things that we say. Yeah. So the couch does matter, you know, for sure. Well, I was going to say the, uh, you know, when you, when you hear words like consumption, I think a lot of us take that as like an end, right? Like, oh, I consume. Because uh, we also paint that in kind of a negative picture mm. where it's like, oh, yeah, consumption. We're, the, we're consumers. We're doing this. And it's like, yeah, well, we all always are, yeah. right? Um, what matters is how that actually plays out. So if, if if we are just consuming just to like take in for ourselves and it goes nowhere, like that's not helpful, Um because then, you know, you get into the spaces of like being like, you know, gluttonous and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about this idea of like permeation, then then you consume in order to push other things out. Yeah. Right. So it mm-hmm. becomes it becomes it becomes a means rather than just an end. Right. So you can constantly be consuming to fill up mm-hmm. in order to push out, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably like if we think about the relationships that we have, even the racial relationships we have here around this table, mm-hmm. um, you know, over the last few years and stuff. Like, that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I consume this thing, and now, Josh, I can tell you about it. Mm-hmm. Josh, you read this thing. Hey, you can tell Ryan that's about right. it. Um, and it's, uh, like, that's that's how it works well. If, if we if we throw away that consumption, then we don't get that ability mm-hmm. to share any of it. That's right. We yeah. become just as dead as somebody yeah. who only consumes. Yeah. And that's the that's the interplay between the permeable and the con- consumable. Right. Is that they act as mitigating constraints. You don't want to be so naive, naive, naive as to as to assume that there's nothing to consume. Yeah. Or to take in, if you will. Um, but also, you don't want to be so naive as to be arrogant that mm-hmm. only what is done by you or made by you or others you value is yeah. the thing operating. Mm-hmm. Which is what a, a, a big mistake a lot of artists and designers make is everything else is dormant or dead in their conscious awareness because it's just about what they bring in. There's a kind yes. of ego attached to it so tightly that it actually hinders the scope of their work, but also means that they're like. There's a way of being so self-assured and arrogant about your work that you actually can't see your work for what it could do mm. because you've already assumed what it does to the detriment of, of what it is. Yeah, There's yeah. no room to learn about it. It's already a given. And in being a given, it has diminishing returns as far as personal satisfaction or affirmation, let alone uh, the kinds of effects that it can produce in somebody else. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's, it's really interesting, man. I mean, when you start to start to... So what that means is, to your point, Gareth, a little bit is 
there is a decompartmentalizing to an extent that has to happen. So individuating is different than compartmentalizing. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, I think that's, yeah, that gets to kind of two halves, especially what I've seen in the last year. And that's kind of like provided the, like uh, the polymath concept of like, you can just do a lot of things mm-hmm. where it's like, if we are permeable in that, like we we're sitting in an, like in an influencing uh, environment that is internalized and then we externalize things like either to a greater or lesser degree. Um, if it's kind of, if you're not trying to craft an identity around the thing that you're producing, that means that you can produce pretty much whatever you want to. Mm-hmm. There are some things that you can, that, that ought to be made and that ought not. I think like mm-hmm. there are like things are either positive or, or negative, I would mm-hmm. say. And then like the neutral is probably just less impactful rather mm-hmm. than neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, uh, so like if, if I'm not just trying to be a painter, um, then that means that I can, I can make sweaters for my wife and it's like actually encouraging to her and it's mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, it's at the really same time, sweater too, by the way, it oh, was nice. Thank you. I, I want a sweater that. singlet. <laughs> get, get Ryan a crop top up in here. I want the whole thing <laughs> with a zipper in the front. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, so there's, so there's that side where it's like, you're freed up to do kind of whatever, especially if like, you know, identity would, identity would say, if you're trying to just kind of, uh, contrive it, you have to shuck off certain things that don't fit in with that, which right. yeah, no, really, it can be hugely like unhelpful. Like I think like a singlet. Yeah. Sorry. Hey, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. Okay. Like, You're making uh, a good point. You know, I mean, for a while, like, uh, being mixed again, it was like, I was trying to be a black artist for a while mm. and I was like, okay, so I got to make black art. Well, what does that look like? It kind of looks like this, right? Okay, so I can't, I have to reject these certain influences and what I produce can only look like this mm. so that I can kind of fit into that box that I'm, I'm trying to craft for myself. Cause it's like, especially in the United States, it's like trying to understand what that means, what that looks like is, it's made to look like it's such a simple thing. Mm-hmm. Like every person with like at least half black, uh, like lineage, like comes pre downloaded with some sort of like, Gnostic understanding mm. is like not the case. So like um, you are influenced actively by everything that you're around. So what you produce should probably look a lot like what's what you're taking in. Mm. So there's that one side where it's like, okay, what am I producing? What, what do I have access to? What do I have freedom for? Especially of the things that are around me. And then on the other side, it's like some people don't realize that you can just literally just make stuff. Like you are so free to yes. just make stuff. Like, I think there's like a a pervading sense where it's like, like with the documentary, it's like, oh yeah, professionals make movies. It's like, nah, son, like people make movies. Mm -hmm. You could literally do it. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, professionals make t-shirt companies or whatever. It's like, no, like you can do that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. you are literally like the world again, like what you said, Garrett, like with, with the garden metaphor, it's like the ground is such that you can produce multiple fruit, right? Mm -hmm. Like the fact that we live in a world where you can mine metal out of the ground and make random stuff that airplanes, you can make airplanes, airplanes that what starts in the ground ends in the sky. And that's not based off of what, like that's not, that's intrinsic to the world. Like the world is full in that way where there's like that just ridiculous potentiality. And like we as human beings are able to, interact with that kind of potentiality and produce fruit from it, it's, mm-hmm. which is wild. Yeah. We can actualize it. Yeah. 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 We tra- transfer that energy, convert it into act- actual expressions that then have 
um, specified form that specifies the nature of the generativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I mean, in, in that's the um, sort of the advancing realm, if you will, the realm of what the realm of what the future will hold mm-hmm. is advanced through the means of ex, of expression that is loaded with intention and and uh, mindfulness or lack thereof. That's why you know that's why there's so much. I mean, not to get you know that's why there's just always always so much up for grabs, but mm-hmm. also. It really matters in terms of who who is uh, who is chief influencer and who, who who you know who are the kinds of people that are actually really making decisions. Are we are we only tearing down or building up? Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm I'm side note. I'm interested in you. You know, you made a distinction about trying to be a, a you know a black artist mm-hmm. and and or and then acknowledging that your mom is white and your father's black and then you said you were mixed and I mean, do you, you want to expand on that a little bit? Like, where are you at right now, mindset? I mean, against the backdrop of what we're you know, what we're dealing with. How, how do you, what's your personal take? Like, yeah. Uh, so I think that especially, and this might produce some hate, but, uh, like, especially in like a digital world, um, the siloed experiences that we have aren't nearly as siloed as they used to be. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, whereas, you know, 70 years ago you'd have like black people as, as a whole kind of a bucket, which there would be subcategories even with their, within that, like given geography and everything. So it's not homogenous. I think that's, that's the thing is like, it's not homogenous. Um, like you'd have the, the general unified experience of Jim Crow. Right. Mm-hmm. And then before that slavery. Right. So like that's, that's generally the milieu. So you can assume that. And like, you can look at a black person and be like, that's a black person. 70 years ago, you say that, well, that person does not have the rights that I have because they're not afforded. Is like, and that would have been the case. Uh, however, now, where like, especially that, uh, regardless of whether people feel like it's better or not, like it is substantially, demonstrably different than Jim Crow era. And like, uh, like I have black friends, I have white friends, I have Asian friends. Like, like it's just it is necessarily different. So acting like it's just as bad is not helpful at all. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not looking around and seeing what the case is, not looking at history, assuming that there's no problems is also ignorant. But so there's that then with, with digital means, the experiences that we're allowed to have and with the fact that we are in uh, an integrated society means that there's overlapping experiences that we're allowed to have as black people, white people or whomever. Um, and that actually is the informative culture driving milieu that you sit in, uh, meaning that that's actually culturally close to where you're at. So like uh, I grew up listening to alternative music, 80s music in my parents' house. My dad loves to golf. Um, I was raised in, the, raised in the church. So like those are all driving constraints that produce joshness, right? And my brother has a flavor of that, but it's like, so am I black? Well, yeah, I mean, my dad's black. But in terms of like trying to crystallize that into some like nugget of, ah, yes, I see it. He has the black on him. Like it's, yeah, it's not, it's not necessarily that. You'd see, you'd see me, I'm a brown person. Uh, but if you walk around my house, you would not know because it's not like that. Mm-hmm. It's, it, there's no like, like maybe there, like there are like stereotypical indicators where it's like, oh, that, that's, that's a black person's house. Like mm-hmm. there's jokes like that at this point, but like overall it's, 
we have a lot more commonality than we think. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like, especially nowadays, it's like you keep trying to pay so much attention to the differences mm-hmm. and it's hugely unhelpful because you're significantly more common than you think mm-hmm. you're significantly more like one another, you know? Yeah. So how does that play? So, you know, just that whole, so kind of like dipping into the show a little bit that's up mm-hmm. right now and like the process of that, um, and with the other artists and the, the way in which the show is individuated, but there's a unity and there's, there's a diversity there that we see. Yeah. Um, take us into that. Yeah. So, uh, the, the freedom that's afforded, uh, in personhood is like, is such that you can have Chino making flower paintings and you can have Curtis making portraiture of black men. You can have me making collages. You can have James making large abstracted works, right? They're vastly different. Uh, because that's just how we are as people. Like we are different as mm-hmm. people. Um, so like about six months prior to when you had, actually, so four months before um, all the craziness started popping off, uh, especially around Richmond, um, I had a conversation with a good mutual friend of ours um, and kind of got some greater clarity on like, he's another mixed guy, another guy who I really, really trust, very wise, insightful guy. Um, and he helped me kind of, clarify probably what's a better way to think about identity, especially in the mix that we're in. Um, and so from that point, I was like, oh, crap, I can just lean into all of the influences that I have and the things that I enjoy. It's like, I love alternative music. I love indie music. I also love jazz. I also love hip hop. Um, I So for a long time, I was just trying to make uh, black portraits. I would do portraits of black people in this woodcut style. And then off of that conversation, we talked and I was like, I'm kind of just going to learn how to paint from scratch. And I, I kind of started in that direction again with the black portrait, but I was like, I can do whatever I want to. So I started doing collages cause I'd never done it before. So like you can get that where it's like, I'm making collages cause that's where I'm at is I had been doing figurative work for a long time. I was not excited about it anymore, but there's like these, you know, semi-sculptural, highly potential like arrangements of materials that excites me. In the same way that these arrangements uh, in this frame composition excites Curtis, in the same mm-hmm. way that these flowers are speaking to, to Chino at this time, it's like the influences that you're having at any given time will produce a certain outcome, the way that your stuff looks, and it's going to be different from person to person, whether they're black or not. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the things about doing this show that we kicked around Gareth and I a lot is like, you know, we're all close friends mm-hmm. and. So we really know each other, and that actually really adds a lot of layers to this. Um, but what I what I felt was the the importance for there to be visibly the unity and in, in intensity towards the pursuit of the studio practice, mm-hmm. but the diversity of outcomes. Yeah, um, that this this isn't a monolithic. There isn't like one tone, one note, one that there's so much diversity um, in having personally anecdotally known that for large percentage of my life, especially with the black community and like just kind of being in the milieu for a very long time, like seeing everybody vigorously working at their practices during this pandemic time, Mm -hmm. you know, and seeing the kind of things that were emerging and then us sharing threads together and feedback and conversation and like seeing it kind of like to cultivate and develop, you know, it it felt like it was a timely moment to, um, for us to put that out there, you know? Um, so talk about, I mean, it's like you're, so I mean, one of the things that I loved is, you know, you have James who's pretty well established, pretty experienced mm-hmm. making killer paintings, just really there teaching college professor, that kind of thing. And 
Chino is Chino. Chino's got international <laughs> audience. He's kind of a poly, it's a polymath or whatever. I mean, he's like doing all of it. Yeah. Um, Curtis has been faithful and gotten got some things going, but definitely I think needs more attention on his work. Yeah, I no think doubt. people need to get eyes on Curtis quickly. Um, and then you have not done like an contemporary art exhibition yet. Nah. So that's one of the things that we love, like the hardest shock art space is to like blow up categories mm-hmm. and not make it about like necessarily about certain kind of qualifications. Yeah. And so there is an excitement to just bring this show together and just expedite the process of putting you in the mix, you know, yeah. cause the work is good, you know? And uh, so what was it like kind of like from your end getting that experience, knowing that some guys have shown all over the world. Yeah. Like there's just different levels of experience there. Uh, so like the whole international claim bit didn't really come into play because it's like uh, I didn't know James before this, but like Chino and, and Curtis are just my homies. Like mm-hmm. I, I already know them. So it, it didn't factor in. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it was just we were just hanging out. We were showing like the night where we uh, uh, were installing the work, folks were bringing stuff out. And it was just like, bro, like, bro. That was these a great pieces, night. though. That was one of the best nights. Gar- Gareth, Callie brought us ta- Gareth's wife, Callie brought us Taco Bell. <laughs> Gareth and I have been waiting to eat Taco Bell together. So there wasn't a better night to do it than that night. Yeah. It, everything about that night was, you know, minus a few really hard, hard things, yeah. hard news for me personally, and especially for, for Chino. Other than that, man, that night was so special. much fun. Yeah. yeah, it was a great time. That's all it was. So, like the the sense of like uh, different stratifications of experience and whatever, it was completely flattened. Like you could see it in the work where it's like, yeah, these guys have some mature work because they've been doing it for a while. But it was just we were just having fun. You yeah. Know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And which doesn't negate the seriousness of the work or the way yeah. it could be interpreted. But at the yeah. core, the generative community part is like I said, we've all been knowing each other for a long time. Yeah. Like. I think that's always the big thing that gets me is that 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 does flatten some of those un, some of those hierarchical aspects that can uh, create, um, you know, if you want to call it this, I'm being oppressive stratification where sure. it's like, oh, I got to I got to, you know, bow down to the person in front of me. You know, I can respect someone for their experience, but but a lot of times it turns into bowing down like. Yeah you know, you are beneath me and I need to make sure you understand that. Yeah. There was, there was none of that. There was no, yeah, there, there's the respecting that I can like, there's the fact that I can look at Curtis and Chino and James be like, they're, they're more mature. So like I have stuff to learn from them. Yeah. So I've been asking them a bunch of questions like through the course of making this body of work Yeah. Um, because they have the experience. Yep. But like there was no sense of like, there was no undervaluing of me yeah. as like as an individual. Cause like I was just, I know Chino had said it like way early in the process. Like I'm just happy to be here. I was like, wow, that resonates hard. Yeah. I don't know anything about this stuff. Like right. I'm really just happy to be here. Yeah. And like that was being treated like a brother. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that was a great night. Show is great. I mean, a turnout, man. What'd you think of the turnout? There's a lot more people than I expected. It's <laughs> <laughs> over in the corner sweating bullets. Oh and Garrett gosh. just looking at each other like, uh. <laughs> it's hype. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was killer, man. I mean, I mean, the show. So hopefully, we, you know, we've had folks coming out showing interest in the show, and I mean, it's going to be up for a while. So we're working on this book. I mean, I think the book is going to be worth picking up. Yeah, as no well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so when you think about, I guess there's a shortcoming to obtaining to certain things mm. reasonably well. Yeah. Because it can leave you feeling dissatisfied 
or it can lead you wanting more. Or I think that was that puzzle piece. It's like it can lead you wanting to make sense. Like, well, why is it? Yeah. That what does it mean that I can? And uh, so when we we think about that question, where where are you at? Like when you look, because you're young. I mean, you got yeah. a lot ahead of you. So like, how how are you thinking through? You know, because your wife is creative as well, mm-hmm. and your kids are as well. I mean, so it's like yeah. it's probably gonna it's in the atmosphere, right? So when when you think long term, do you feel like you have to think long term, or are you just kind of like taking it in? Like, what's your what's your take right now? So gen- broadly speaking, I want something to be able to pass down to my kids that's like that's a huge category that i'm trying to hit at where it's like uh you know me and my wife deanna we've been thinking over the last uh two years especially as as james my oldest son has gotten a little bit older and so my youngest son is two um on that influence topic where it's like are we allowing our children to be passively I mean, just laying back, passively being shaped by things that have an active effect, but they they have no part in, in being in their formation. Mm-hmm. Or are we the type of people who say, like, now we are makers. Like, that's what we do. That's part and parcel to, like, kind of our family. And so our formation has a more active hand where we are forming our children and our children are forming themselves by the things that we affirm. Mm. So, like, uh, are we the type of family that's, like, we are going to for seven days straight just watch Netflix. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what we're about. That's kind of like our general, like our default state is to be vegging out on Netflix, or is our general default state to be we're going to make music, we're going to draw some stuff, um, we're going to fight with lightsabers. Like, is it going like which of those? And then mm-hmm. what's the the fruit that that comes from that? Mm-hmm. Like, I think my children will be significantly more enriched by having an active hand in their own lives rather than like, it was almost like a weird, like waking up from a dream a few years ago where I realized just how gluttonous I was toward entertainment Mm, mm. where it's like, I was just consuming and consuming and producing very, very little. And my categories for what is effort were busted. So it'd be like, I could do this thing, but it'd be so hard. And it's like, absolutely no, it would not. You're just super lazy. Mm -hmm. So like these like virtues, like I, it, the formation of virtues is like something that's really big. So on one hand and then actual institutional, like either institutional uh, remnants or like um, like artifacts where it's like my kids and like legitimately enjoy looking at my paintings. Mm-hmm. Like I, there was one there was one painting that I made framed and then sat with for multiple days, was frustrated with it, cannibalized it, broke it up into three different paintings. And my son was pissed with me like he was so <laughs> mad to the point where I had to be like all right James uh first of all I'm grown <laughs> and you can't talk to me like that for our <laughs> listeners uh how old is James James is four yeah James is four James <laughs> is sharp as a like, whistle you though. shouldn't have yeah. done that it's like bro I, what <laughs> I'm I am extremely like touched that you are so uh, about that painting that you're upset that I broke it apart but you need to step He's back. He's not going to forget bit. that, by the way. He's That's not. one of those weird in-breaking experiences that kids like. Yeah, yeah. He might remember that one. He might remember oh, that yeah. one. I mean, it's really he fascinating to think will. about. Yeah, he definitely will. There's the other thing though. Like we had, um, we had an art share at our house, so we had a an art exhibition in September uh, where we had homies from our community come out um, and show works in progress or finished work, and we had like just a critique night. We had like cheese and crackers and wine and stuff like that. It was a really nice night. Uh, one of our buddies read an essay that he had written on some stuff. Um, really, really helpful night. And my son had a piece. It was two uh, 
paintings that I had helped him like tape off and like we had worked on together that were hanging by the front door. And like in the midst of the critiques, like he got to, I took it down and I asked James to explain what it was and what it, like what it was doing and um, what he felt about it. And like the group asked some questions to him and that was about it. It only lasted about five minutes, but like, I would like to leave those types of experiences with and for him. Like mm-hmm. those are influential. Like he'll, he'll come, like I, I drum for church and it's like, he'll come with me to practice occasionally and he'll sit behind me and he'll either read or like play his tablet or whatever uh, while I practice. Cause I can't have him just like be needing me constantly, but he's sitting in that mix. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's seeing me drum. Yeah. Drumming, and doing focus at this yeah, thing. You yeah, know? yeah. 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 I think the cot part, we always say like your parents, like I always paid attention to what my parents did and yeah. it was what they taught, but that's what you caught. And if you become aware of, of the catching part, you realize you can't control it, but mm-hmm. you can, you can be mindful of it and you can be more situational in the kinds of things that are more likely to be caught Word. by stewarding the sort of the milieu of your home. I feel like you do a good job of that, Gareth, like with your kids, like mm-hmm. your environment is reinforces certain values pretty well. I feel like, like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's one of those things. We actually, it, this conversation came up between my wife and I a few weeks back, maybe a few months, I don't know, COVID time. I don't yeah, know COVID what, time. I don't know mm. what time is anymore. It's probably a few months ago, but um, it was just one of these moments where sitting there, uh, we had um, we had some Coltrane playing in the background, mm-hmm. and our home is completely decorated by the people we love. Yeah. So it's all paintings and prints, and illustrations and whatnot from people that are friends of ours. I don't own a single piece of art that I don't have a relationship with the person who made it. Mm-hmm. So stuff on my walls is like I'm surrounded by my friends yeah. who make amazing, beautiful, contemporary art. And then uh, my wife and I love, you talked about artifacts, right? Uh, we love books. Uh, we love reading them. We love consuming them. And we also just love the way that they are. I mean, we both kind of started out as like, book designers like yeah. that's where we got our start so we love them in so many ways so i just had this moment i was like we're sitting here listening to like this deep cultural music we've got these deep cultural visual things we've got these deep cultural tomes and i was like our kids have a weird life man yeah mm-hmm. like it's super weird like this is this is odd um but then i thought back and i'm like well this is how i grew up though yeah. like i remember uh you know we'd have like my, my dad was uh, classical in the jazz so on Saturday morning, like if you're cleaning the house or whatever, you got some Beethoven rocking on the stereo mm-hmm. in the home while you're going around and, you know, you've got uh, like antique furniture and all this other stuff in the house. And it's like those things shaped me, but I never caught on to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I never caught on to how much they shaped me. You know, even the small little digressions. Uh, anytime we were in the car, my dad would have public radio on listening to classical music. Mm-hmm. Like anytime. Mm-hmm. And so then at some point, almost as a reflex, like I would be in the car and I would turn on classical music. Yeah. It was it was the thing that was in that space. Like I had become accustomed to it. Yeah. Yeah. And it becomes something and it wasn't forced on me. Mm-hmm. My dad was never like, when you're in the car, you listen to this. It was there's just a, like, I'm in the car. This it's in I the do. atmosphere. It's in the atmosphere. Yeah. So there's, they created spaces. Yeah. There's that. There's So there's the environment that you have with all mm-hmm. the cultural artifacts. But then like, and, and so, and there's the practicing. So you as a designer, what you do professionally. And then beyond that, like, I know that you, like me, 
you have folks over through the week, you're serving people. Like yeah. you're, you're giving them meals and like you're talking with them. It's like, and that's real. Like, and, and I think a part of it is like to that end is like using that space, like actually using it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because I don't know, you might be listening and say, Oh my gosh, your, your house kind of sounds like a weird, like museum, but like, mm-hmm. you know, do you like let your kids touch stuff? And it's like, my kids have torn up books on the shelves because they're at their level. Yeah. I mean, when we, when we were talking about having kids, we were like, we're not going to baby proof our house. We're going to house proof our babies. Mm which means that they're going to live in that space. And yeah, really you learn, learn to actually how to live interact in with it. Yeah, yeah. People, you know, so yeah. if my kid wants to walk over and pull some Faulkner off the shelf yeah. and be like, what's this book? I'll sit down and talk to my kid about it. Like, that's fine. I mean, we had, I don't know how many dinner conversations with my oldest we had because one of Chino's paintings is on the wall right by our table. Yeah. And it's very striking, like very bright colors and a really uh, fantastic. Uh, it's like a sunshine in that living room, you yeah, know, like it really truly, is. like in a good way. And so there'll be times like we'll just be having our dinner, talking about whatever. And then my daughter would chime in with daddy was this painting this way at like five years old. Yeah. You know, which is, which is really legit. And you don't have that question pop up if you haven't built a space for that question to exist. Word. Well, what's beautiful about that question is the question already assumes it is a painting and doesn't yeah. say, is it a painting, which is yeah, the question. Yeah, it's not, why is this art? It's yeah, like, no, it yeah is. it's already being heavily assumed as it should be, as opposed to coming to college and being forced that question and then being surprised when people are stalemated yeah. to the point that they don't make when they leave college. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of an incredible. There's, there's a ridiculous amount of privilege that we have as parents to do the hard work of thinking deeply about certain things so that they don't have to deal with the same things. Yeah. Like, real. I really, really hope that my children will not have to struggle with the exact same things that I did, mm-hmm. because I hope that at me having gone through them, me being able to lay out the categories for them and also produce a space that like uh, mitigates those things. Yep. Like, I really hope that it's, it's just going to be second nature to them. Yeah, that's one of the things about the show. So in the, the essay that I wrote, like one thing I wanted to highlight is like three of the four artists are are men with families mm-hmm. and which means there's a multi-generational generative potential there Word. that so when we talk about seismic change in society and, and how we we you know we make these changes we want to see happen um there's the immediate kind of force of change that you see and that's one thing and then there's the but there needs to be the foresight to to create multi-generational change mm-hmm. and so um you know, that's one of the things that I loved about us doing this show is we, we all believe that and we are living that in our in our own homes with our own families is that there are seeds that have gone into the ground that will bear multi-generational fruit that will exceed the, the efforts of our own yeah. most immediate fruitfulness. Mm-hmm. And it's key to support that because that's often not highlighted in the realm of arts and culture. Yeah. It's often the individual to the detriment of that. And it, it rests squarely and only on the artifact they produce, but not the relational dynamics they're creating. Man, yeah. that's so real. Um, and then like people will ask me from time to time, they're like, oh, well, how'd you, how'd you get into teaching? And I always catch myself because the honest, immediate answer is for generations, that's what my family's done. Mm-hmm. We've been teachers for as far back as I can go. Yeah. But there's something embarrassing about that in the culture we have right now. Yeah. To say yeah. that like I've been influenced by the people that I hold most dear in my life to do a thing that I see as valid and worthwhile. Yeah. Like to give that answer to someone's like, yeah, but what about you? Right. It's like, what about me? Mm -hmm. You know, like there's something about that. And I think it's beautiful because that space we're talking about, like I have a six year old daughter who has told me for years that one of the things she wants to do when she grows up is be a painter. 
I mean, it's not like we're sitting around watching painting documentaries. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I want to. My gosh, I want to. <laughs> yeah. My wife's not down for it right. all the time, but, you know. She's getting better, though. She's getting better. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I mean, in her, yeah. Love you, honey. So the, uh, but, you know, with that, like, it, it's it's like there's only certain ways that she would even have that that sort of category, that space to talk about, like, I want to be a painter. Like, mm-hmm. daddy's not a painter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Uncle Ryan is, mm-hmm. right? And all these other folks. And in around in, in, like all those paintings around us in that space, all those people she knows were like, "Hey, that's an embodied individual mm-hmm. who does this thing, and I like what they do, and that's enough for her." Yeah, and I don't think we outgrow that to extent. No, I mean yeah. that's a great point about that's the point that I, I love that Josh made. That is both amazing and heartbreaking. It's like there's one African American man, and it sticks out, it resonates, and it's so critical. It's like that was a yes. key experience. Mm-hmm. You'd, you'd like you'd like for that to be more multiplicitous yeah, mm-hmm. with more variation, right? Like more differences, more types of work. You want to see those embodied expressions, you know, like, yeah, that's one of the, uh, you know, just a side note, one of my, I think one of the things that's been happening in my, you know, in our midst is like different friends that have kids that are like, their kids want to show me their work. Yeah, so I yeah. get people that are like, I made this to show Ryan, will you show it to him? Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know, man. That's really touching. It has massive implications. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Um, and yeah, I think all of our kids are going to be weird because <laughs> they're Bring around it so much. Like galleries and like artists and music. And I mean, it's second nature, but I got to believe that that's part of the, Okay. So that's part of the conversation that, uh, that some are having that I've had over the years, which we would call like culture care or stewardship or, yeah. or uh, what we would call generativity is like that, that, the caring for culture has to have an eye to the future. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean to overly step into the utopic, but always I'm ebbing that way because if you don't have hope and if you don't have direction, you have idleness to self-indulgence to mm-hmm. tear down. And we literally have living through that. Yeah. Idleness idleness begets to selfish or uh, selfish indulgence to tear down mm-hmm. because disgruntledness emerges out of dissatisfaction. Yes. Yeah, and you can't build from that. So, so because the, the the habit is self centered. Yeah, and so we want like you like you said. I love what you said about um, my indulgent life caused me to look at work as hard without accounting for my laziness. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting recognition because I'm not saying everyone's lazy, but when you move from idleness to self indulgent to tear down because of the dissatisfaction, the one part that's difficult is to account for it and say, it's because I shouldn't have been idle to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so when society becomes idle, then we are anemic to like Wally, you know, when you watch Wally, like the dudes are so heavy, they can barely get up and walk. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they want to. And so the temptation is to then, then go to what you know, which is more tear down mm-hmm. or to get back to idleness. And because that's insurmountable, we try to normalize the teardown state of affairs as the new plausibility for idleness. Yeah. It's very serious. I mean, if, if, if our category for what is best is always what's most comfortable, like I remember mm-hmm. there was the episode a couple of weeks back from now where if it, if it can help, it can hurt. Yep. Right. Like if, if our general understanding is that things that are difficult uh, cannot be good for us or things that are uncomfortable cannot be good for us, then we are constantly going to be in a self-serving disposition mm-hmm. uh, and a self-serving disposition does not consider or serve others. So mm-hmm. it cannot think past itself. Generationally mm-hmm. speaking, yeah. there's nothing to build from it. Yeah. You can't so, build. I mean that, that, 
there's a point that you said, something you said earlier that I want to kind of get back to, and I think this is a good segue into it, is uh, you said um, you kind of got to a place where you were like, oh, I can just make stuff. I can just do that. I don't have to just be just be idle or just be consuming Netflix all the time and not do anything else with it. Um, and you, you mentioned the word professional, which I feel like sometimes is that thing that we push off of mm-hmm. and say, Oh, I'm not that. So I can't do this stuff right now. I haven't been given permission by somebody or whatever else. Um, you know, so you said, you know, you can make a t-shirt company, you can make a film, you can do this. Um, can you talk a little bit about like how those ideas of, of like the, uh, the ability to do something because you desire to, um, even though you may not be a professional, like how, how did those things change? What is that? How's that sit with you now? Yeah. Uh, so like my wife is amazing. Shout out to Deanna. You're awesome. I love you so much. Yeah. Deanna's awesome. Um, she has creative impulses, like really strong creative impulses, but I think she was in an environment for a long time where they weren't cultivated. And so like, um, generally her disposition can be to, as she's stepping towards something, it's like, well, is this valuable for one? And like the, the, the suck period is like, it's really difficult to get over like for everyone. Like, it's like, you're learning a new thing. Uh, but you might suck at it for a bit. So probably no point in learning. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, that's the general like vibe. And like, and so she's come a long way in like getting past that to where it's like, um, like one thing that I'd said to her, cause she, she wants to write, she started writing and, uh, she's got stories to tell. And I told her one time, it's like, she's like, well, I don't know if I should. And I was like, you realize that there's like stuff that could be out there, could be written that Mm -hmm. only sounds the way that you would make it sound. That is not there right now, only because you haven't done it yet. It's like, there's that, like, again, tremendous potentiality. So like, um, yeah, like, there, you're going to have a suck period. Like I had, I assumed that there was going to be probably a pretty massive suck period with the paintings. Like I'm just thankful it didn't happen quite that way. Um, and I think I kind of sidestepped it because I didn't go in the, the direction that I was originally planning on going. Um, but yeah, like that's it. Like, uh, the, the professional versus like amateur or whatever, whatever is like, if you want to put professional into the category of you're getting money for it, uh, maybe, but like you get some people who probably aren't getting money for certain things and they're beasts at it. Right? Yeah. Like the, yeah. the folk hero is able to like play guitar, like a G who just does it like mariachi dudes who like just get up with their homies and play music and they're beasts. Yeah. They're masters. They're masterful at it. Right. They're just maestro yeah. level and execution. You know, when we talk about like professionalism, like it's, it's something that always rubs me the wrong way because it's, again, it's like this weird reversal, right? When mm. we're like waiting for permission or whatever else, instead of just stepping into it and doing yeah. it. Right. Like, um, like at one point Steven Spielberg was not a quote professional, Word. right? He was making like garbage films in the garage, like everybody else. Yeah. All right. Um, but I think there's, what's nice is if you actually break down that whole word, like the root word professionalism is profess. Mm. And everything where we talk about professing, right, whether you're talking about like love or like, you know, religious uh, service or whatever it might be, like professing is always about saying a thing that is already real in your being. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about professionalism, it's Dang it's it. not a, oh, I've proven myself through my actions. It's your actions have already been there and now your words are actually lining up with it. Mm. And that's something like I like to tell freshman students that, students that a lot because, you know, you're a freshman. You're like, college is so long. I've got so much time. And then like it runs up on you real quick. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, the whole idea of professionalism is like, I'm doing this stuff and now I'm telling you about it and it's already been real. Yeah. Um, now you just know about it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that's that reversal where I think a lot of times we want to talk a lot about it first mm-hmm. and then be like, yeah. Right. And now what do I need to do to make it real? It's like, no, you're not a professional because you're just flapping your gums. Yeah. Right. Right. Once you're doing that stuff, now you're in that space. Yeah, and I think professional is a, well, there's two things. You know, from just teaching a long, long time now. Professional is so multifaceted and there's a large, you know, relativistic nature to it as far as, you know, let's just broadly speaking in terms of creativity. But in there is a reasonable, reliable kind of personal conduct, an ethic that is uh, predictable enough that it, it allows clients to interact with you or mm-hmm. galleries or mm-hmm. it, it's it's taking care of responsibilities that are yours to take care of in in the realm of deal making and value exchanging and sharing and so on and but also to the level of responsibility over what you make mm-hmm. with consistency mm-hmm. so um, and part of that responsibility over what you make is accounting for when it is reasonably well or less than well and being honest about that. It's not always that you're always perfected at your making, although you could be uh, perpetually excellent. It's also though within your own self-understanding of what you make, you have a category for "Mm, this is, this is sufficient. And I know people may feel differently about it, but I'm going to always account for and take responsibility for what I'm Mm -hmm, doing. mm -hmm. So whether it's in design or your studio practice or whatever, like I, I have things that I don't let out of my studio. Now, if somebody else who is a curatorial eye that's doing some kind of project and they can help persuade me to see something as different than how I'm understanding it and it's convincing to me, I may defer to their professional opinion mm-hmm. and live with the consequences of that responsible choice that I'm making. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in all of it, it's a state of mind that has a posture of humility to account for and uphold to reasonable standards of expectation, yeah, both for the work, for yourself, and so on. So, it's, so, so even when it's a creative work that you're unsure about, which is a, not not a bad thing at all, it could be like I'm exploring these variables. I'm going to be responsible to this, and that means that I'm not going to burden other people with shenanigans regarding, you know, overcompensating for it, right, right, or. I'm a hustler and I got to hustle this. So I'm, I'm going to hustle it. Well, like I'm, I, I'm not sure, but I'm a hustler. Well, I'm gonna say, look it, I want to get this out there. I mean, it's variable, yeah. but there is some component that deals in personal accounting. And I think that's a terribly unpopular idea in our current climate. It feels very, very antithetical to, uh, to the way we want to, um, experience the freedom of the arts mm-hmm. in, I think something that you said, Josh, it's like just because I, I love watching animations doesn't mean I'm supposed to make them. Mm, yeah. A lot of people never get past, they never get to that point and they, they sink like a siren song. They crash against the rocks of, of uh, possessing that which they are consumed by to their own demise. Mm-hmm. And then they just stop making all together and, and they're disgruntled about it because they, because they can't make that dis- disassociation. Yeah, and they're not being responsible. They're not. They're not uh, taking in input from others that actually can see things about them they can't see about themselves. Like all of these things, kind of interplay for all of us. 
um, which another again is another imperative for community for yeah. no to be known. It's is uh, it's hard to get around. Yeah, that accounting for like the the, the accounting for the, the voice of other people and like being aware of where your stuff is at, like in an honest way, mm-hmm. that's that's attainable at any level. Like, mm-hmm. so you can be someone who's like, I am just starting this. Like, I understand that uh, my level of expertise is is bottom level, especially compared to those who have been in it for longer. Like, that's still like a professional disposition just by that's right. by that rubric. Like, you can be behaving professionally in that yep. regard, but like, it doesn't exclude you from the entry. Right? That's right. I, that was for me. That was for a long time. That was a uh, actually like a huge sticking point. Like, I was massively frustrated um, coming out of college, and I was like, I was pissed with visual arts as, as a concept and the fine arts in particular, um, even though I was a practicing designer, I was like, well, I can probably like deal with this stuff a little bit easier. Cause it seems like the, the entry fee is lower just cause mm-hmm. like, like being in, our, in around our community was the thing that disarmed me properly because it's like, no, you can enter in. Like we're just having fun, man. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's different things to understand. Cause like I would try and inflate my work before it was ready for mm-hmm. it. Like it was like I was not willing to like be aware of um, what it actually was doing or wasn't like mm-hmm. there was just a massive assumption of like this is fine. And like I'd have folks like humbly telling me like, well, this is what it's doing. And I wasn't ready to hear that. And so mm-hmm. I was frustrated. But like you can you can have a professional disposition of like I'm going to hear that and I'm going to internalize it and then I'm going to produce something else, mm-hmm. um, which in some ways that may mean like. Like for me, it was like, I'm doing illustration. And uh, Rob, way before I even started pivoting toward design, was like, hey, you probably, given what I know about you, are going to want to not do that. (laughs) Like you're probably going to want to go into a different field. Um, Like illustration is probably not going to like provide for your family in the way Mm -hmm. that you're like framing up. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to hear that at the time. Mm -hmm. But like, like you can't have the disposition of like being able to field that stuff and like take it properly, take it well, you know? Yeah. Like you may end up doing a different thing than you were doing before. Right. Right. Yeah. And and, I mean, that's good, right? That's why you shouldn't have any shame in like what you talked about at the very beginning of this, which is why not do a bunch of different things? Why not just be free in the ability to make stuff, to, to really step into it, to, to explore these different options instead of just living solely in like that one thing and say like, I'm going to live or die on this little rock. Word. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, cause usually if those statements pop up, it's like, well, you're probably going to die there mm. because you've right. limited yourself so much, not because you don't have the ability to succeed there, but yeah. you're just limited in a, in a huge, huge way. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things uh, from today, I think that are really good that we popped out. Um, and I'm super pumped to hear this stuff because it's got me thinking about a bunch of yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I think I just wanted to throw in there, man, before we close is, um, one, thanks, Josh, for being on. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah man. Dude. We're have, definitely going to have you on again. I think we only started to pick at some things. I feel like it was another conversation that we got percolating oh, yeah. in the percolator. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But kind of coming back around to what I said at the beginning about the earth as like an instrument to be played. Here's the thing, um, you know, uh, paint dries, uh, cement solidifies, um, sidewalks direct you, walls stand, um, carpet delights, facilitates comfort, um, light affords sight, um, clay is moldable, um, power enables motion image, electricity, um, text strung together in meaningful phrases elicits a feeling, a thought, 
an expansive story, a world. Um, and that's just, that is, we have assurances for that. Whether or not we've ever done it ourselves. We are here because the world is that kind of place. And the sooner we get to accepting that without trying to overassign personal value to ourselves, without uh, making it a utility that is in the service of making me bigger than I am, the sooner you can get to work that may actually do meaningful things beyond your, your grasp of expectation. And the sooner you accept that the world is predictably that way, that it can be made much of and much with, um, the less you'll feel like you have to do it all. And when you feel like you don't have to do it all, you'll actually find that you can do more. So when you don't think you have to do it all, you will find that you can do more mm. and you can make it meaningful without being self-indulgent. Yeah. 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 It's real. Uh, I mean, it's a hard road to yes. get to because it's, it's, it's really, it's releasing a lot of stuff. It's let going a lot, of, a control, lot of reordering, a lot of reordering. Um, but you know, I think that, um, it, it's hard if, if you're a practicing artist or designer, uh, it's hard to fight against that. Cause I think we've at least had one or two experiences in our lives, no matter how old you are, where you felt that, where you're like, Oh, I actually like let go of some of that, like hyper OCD control of this. Mm -hmm. And it actually felt incredibly free. Mm -hmm. And I mean, people talk about the whole state of flow, right? That mm -hmm. you get in this spot. And I think some of it's that. It's not that you've hit some spot. It's that you probably had a bit more communion with like just how stuff is. Yeah, it's like I want to emphasize that, man, because we just we, we, we take on pressure that we don't actually enable to be the case. Yeah. Like the world isn't good because I made something of it. The world is good, therefore I can make something of yeah. it. Yeah. And it's if you miss me. that, if you flip those, you're dead in the water because you're always trying to make the meaningful thing that uh, impacts other people, but also can then convinces you that it's worth it and that it's meaningful. Yep. And and all the while you're resting on, you know, a world that's so much more confounding and, um, you know, enchanted than you're willing to admit you're utterly close to it. Yep. And you're, you're taking on the posture of God or something. You're trying to usher in a cosmos of value and meaning and cogency and mystery. And you're like, you are, not that being, you yeah. can't do that, but you can do some amazing things far exceeding what your best expectations are in your best day. But it takes more of a faithful, humble approach. I really, I mean, I just, you know, would drive that home most sincerely. Like, I mean, I, not to piggyback on it, but it's like the builder, our film, like, did we, you know, like when I, I wanted to do that, it's cause I was like, Don, you got a cool story, man. We got to tell the story. I got to tell the story. I got to find a way. Like I recognize something here that would be, uh, uh, it would, it would be worth doing. And, you know, when I thought of that, I thought of it as a solution to current art fair, which is our mid-Atlantic Richmond art fair. As far as the fact that when the galleries kicked off, all the galleries um, essentially sold to their collector base. Mm -hmm. So there was no new, new collectors. And I was like, that's because we have to do things to invite new collectors in, help them have a new vision. So those were my two goals. It was like, this isn't a great story. It's a true story. And there's this. So I thought the apex for the film was, you know, a 15 to 20 minute vignette video featurette at current art fair. And I thought, gosh, if we could ever pull that off, that would be amazing. Yeah. And now we're like, it's an hour film. It's won multiple awards and film festivals. And, you know, we are at least in some kind of discussion about who knows, maybe distribution or it's like, and 
showing a music like, like that's all like far exceeds anything that we yeah. we thought of like mm. by a long shot and now we're dreaming about these next films like that's the path like that wasn't there it was more like what's most immediately in front of my face here's a person that i think has a story i, I feel like this is like a lot of other stories that people don't know about that builds collections and you know so all that to say um it is it's really just true and the more we all keep living it out the more it keeps confirming to us the case yeah, that's the most stag. I mean, that 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 confirmation that mitigates chaos and anxiety. It's just real, man. Yeah. We still deal with it, but it's it's constantly constrained in in terms of our direction, and and we know which way to keep stepping. Yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah, so, I mean, there, there wasn't a sense of like you needed to prove something, and in, in that no. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's freeing. It, it's hugely freeing, right? Yeah. And I think you know, just like uh, way funner. It's yeah. a it's gotten to be kind of a, a standard of of this show, I guess. But you know. Uh, on a kind of a big thought-provoking question, we we wrap it up. But before we wrap up, one last thing, Josh. Where can people find your work and see yes. what's up? Uh, so at Josh Will Design on Instagram, I sometimes post there. I often don't, but you can find some <laughs> stuff there. Um, also at Josh Will Design on Dribble, three Bs. Um, not a whole lot of new stuff there. I haven't posted in there uh, in like a year and a half, but there's some stuff there. Um, beyond that, at Shock Art Space in Richmond, Virginia. So. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Come see that show. It's up till twenty twenty one of February. It is legit. And it is a show to see. Our gallery is formidable. Mm-hmm. Twenty five hundred square feet plus. We got the show across the street with Amina. That's another twelve to fourteen hundred square feet. Yes. Um, and uh, this is a critical time for our nonprofit. And so we'd love to talk with you about how you can partner with us and help us. Yeah. So uh, on that note, check us out. Check out the stuff in the show notes. Uh, Everything will be there. You'll be able to find everybody, find a a way you can get in touch with us, come down and see the show. But as always, you're a fantastic audience. We love you all, and we'll catch you next time. Peace. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life, an historic Shaco bottle.